us to hear, for us to take in, and for us to practice in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tony. Well, we've been looking at Jacob's troubles, haven't we? Tony's shared with us for two sessions now. We heard about his sibling trouble, his wife trouble, and we're on to in-law trouble. Yes, it's a political topic, this one. I I have friends who affectionately refer to their in-laws as the outlaws. I personally, of course, would never do that. Anyway, so I'm going to move on the slides now. Have you noticed the lovely image that Tony chose for this series, this picture of the the guy with the mask representing Jacob, who we're looking at? He's, he's, He's a bit cunning and deceptive, hence the mask. But that picture really creeps me out. So for the rest of it, of mine, when it appears... Oh, hang on, it helps if you turn your thingy on, Claire. There we go. There we are. The picture's gone. Because it creeps me out and I don't want to see it. But it it was very appropriate for the message. Okay, so the part of the story that we're going to be looking at today is found in Genesis chapters 30 and 31. Now, before we dig into that, I just want us to... Pause for a moment to think about what type of writing this is that we're reading. Because the Bible's made up of loads of different kinds of writing. It's got poetry and songs in there. It's got letters in there. It's got prophetic writing, which is a whole other ballgame. And this, what we're reading here in Genesis is what they call narrative. It is an account of the lives of God's people and what happened with them. And that means we, we need to be wise in how we read it and in how we, we use it to interpret what we're going to do with our lives. So what we read in these Old Testament narratives is not instructions for how we should live. Hopefully you've picked up on that by now with the story of Jacob so far. What he does is not necessarily an example for what we should be doing. Okay, So it's not instructional in that sense. And in particular, with with the section we're looking at right at the beginning of Genesis, this is before Moses and the law came along. So actually, there is no sense of that, that standard of how they should be living yet at this stage. They haven't been given those instructions, and so we can't judge what they're doing on the basis of the, the morals and the ethics that we adhere to. Okay, So it's not instructional, it's, it's not modelling a way to live for us. It's also not prophetic writing. I mean that in the sense it's not got mysterious hidden messages in it that we have to try and in- interpret and see what's, what's the secret message here. It's not prophetic writing. God may speak through it to us prophetically, but that's not the main thing we're looking for. What we are looking at in this kind of text is the account of the lives of God, God's people. So we're looking at it on three levels. We can look at it simply as what is happening in the life of this person that we're getting the story of. What happened in their life? As simple as that. We can also look at it on the level of what is God doing in this person's life? Sometimes that's easier to see than others because in some stories you don't actually have much being said about where God is in it. Okay, so you particularly, I I think it's in the book of Esther, which is another narrative, God doesn't actually get a mention there. Okay, So it's sometimes harder than others, but we can say, well, what's God actually doing in this individual's life? But then there's a third level at which we can understand it, which is how is this person's life, this little bit of the story, 
part of God's bigger plan, God's bigger story for God's purpose for humanity. So we've got those three levels. So what I want us to do this morning as we look at this section of Jacob's story is to look through these three lenses, as it were, at these three levels to see what's going on. So we're going to start off by asking what is happening in this person's life? What's happening in Jacob's life? Now, to recap the story, Jacob, after some struggles with his own family and a little bit of a disagreement with his brother Esau, has actually almost gone into exile. He's had to flee because his brother Esau is pretty mad with him. And so for his own safety, he's fled and he's gone to his mother's family in a country far, far away where he's safe. And so he's become part of his uncle Laban's household. And he's been part of that household for a long time now. Um, his Laban has given him two of his daughters in marriage. Jacob wanted Rachel in marriage, but somehow on the wedding night, Laban snuck Leah in there. How did he not notice until the next morning? This I, I do not understand this, but apparently on the night of the wedding, they, they went and did what one does on the night of the wedding, and it wasn't until morning that Jacob realized he had the wrong woman. Not judging you here, men, okay? Like I said, we can't use this as instructional for us. Anyway, but Laban, Laban then also gave him Rachel to be his wife as well, which was the, the wife that Jacob really wanted. And they've been blessed with children after a few hiccups along the way for Rachel. So they've had children. And Jacob has been living with his family, with his children, as part of Laban's household. And like any young man would, he's now at the point where he wants to start building a household of his own. Everything he's worked for so far, he's worked essentially as a shepherd, establishing the flocks. All of that, all of the profit of that, the benefit of that, has been for Laban's household, not for Jacob himself. And so he's wanting to establish his own household. And so he's going to go to Laban and say, please, can you now release me from your household? I want to take my wives and go and start up on our own. Um, An interesting little aside for you here, Laban actually goes to ask Jacob permission to leave the household, which to us in this day and age might seem a little bit strange. You know, you don't usually have to ask your in-laws permission to actually go and live in your own house with your spouse. But... If we fast forward a bit in the Bible, there's when they're giving the laws in um, Exodus, there's a rule there about slaves in a household, because slaves might be given the master's daughters in marriage. And the, the rule there is something along the lines of, if they've been given the master's daughters in marriage and the slave is released, then they get to take the wife with them. But if they've had children, the wife and the children belong to the master not the slave. And so if the slave leaves the household then, he has to leave the wife and children behind because they're not his. And so that perhaps gives us a little bit of a sense of the relationship Jacob's got here in this household. He's he's almost here like a slave. He has to get permission to take these wives and his children with him. That's kind of where he's at in this family. So let's turn to the Bible, shall we? Usually a good place to start. We're going to look in Genesis chapter 30. 
And I'm very relieved we're in Genesis because that's one of the books of the Bible I can actually always find because it's right at the beginning. Anything beyond that gets tricky. Okay, so I'm going to start reading to you from Genesis 30, chapter, uh, verse 25. Okay. After Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Joseph said to Laban, Send me on my way so that I can go back to my homeland. Give me my wives and children for whom I have served you, and I will be on my way. You know how much work I've done for you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your eyes, please stay. I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. He added, Name your wages, and I will pay them. Jacob said to him, You know how I have worked for you and how your livestock have fared under my care. The little you had before I came has increased greatly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I have been. But now, when may I do something for my own household? What shall I give you? he asked. Don't give me anything, Jacob replied, but if you will do this one thing for me, I will go on tending your flocks and watching over them. Let me go through all your flocks today and remove from them every speckled or spotted sheep, every dark-coloured lamb and every spotted or speckled goat. They will be my wages and my honesty will testify for me in the future whenever you check on the wages you have paid me. Any goat in my possession that is not speckled or spotted, or any lamb that is not dark-coloured, will be considered stolen. Agreed, said Laban. Let it be as you have said. So basically what they've established here, Laban doesn't want Jacob to leave, because actually he's a really good shepherd, and his flocks have been increasing. And so they have this agreement. Jacob, I imagine, doesn't want to feel he's in debt to his father-in-law, which is understandable. And so he's saying, okay, all of the, the imperfect sheep, the spotted ones, the speckled ones, I'll take them out. I'll have those as my flock. But all of the good ones, the nice, clean, pure ones, you can keep for yourself. Okay? That's the deal that they've made. Fair enough. But then if we read on, and this is where it gets tricky to follow. So agreed, said Laban. Let it be as you have said. That same day, he removed all the male goats that were streaked or spotted and all the speckled or spotted female goats, all that had white on them, and all the dark-coloured lambs, and he placed them in the care of his sons. Then he put a three-day journey between himself and Jacob, while Jacob continued to tend the rest of Laban's flocks. Now, you could, depending on how you want to regard Laban here, maybe he's doing Jacob a favour and has done and said, right, well, okay, I'll put this sheep to one side for you then. On the other hand, maybe Laban said, right, you want all the spotted and speckled ones. Before you go get them, I'm just going to filter those ones off and shove them way over there where they can't breed with the others. So Laban's actually playing a bit of a cheating game here. And when we read in the next chapter, we'll see that that's actually what is happening. Laban is not playing fair here. Okay, He's now trying to engineer it so there won't be any speckled or spotted sheep or goats. 
So what's Jacob going to do? Jacob, however, took fresh-cut branches from poplar, almond, and plane trees and made white stripes on them by peeling the bark and exposing the white inner wood of the branches. Then he placed the peeled branches in all the water troughs so that they would be directly in front of the flocks when they came to drink. When the flocks were in heat and came to drink, they mated in front of the branches. I trust you're following all this, folks. Yeah, good. Okay, they mated in front of the branches, and they bore young that were streaked or speckled or spotted, obviously. Jacob set apart the young of the flock by themselves, but made the rest face the streaked and dark-colored animals that belonged to Laban. Thus, he made separate flocks for himself and did not put them with Laban's animals. Whenever the stronger females were in heat, Jacob would place the branches in the troughs in front of the animals so that they would mate near the branches. But if the animals were weak, he would not place them there. So the weak animals went to Laban and the strong ones to Jacob. In this way, the man grew exceedingly prosperous and came to own large flocks and maid servants and men servants and camels and donkeys. So there we have it, folks. If you're wanting to increase your flocks, you need to get some fresh-cut branches from poplar, almond, and plain and do something weird about sticking them in water troughs or... What? What is... Eh? What on earth is going on there? So, clearly he's trying to do some kind of selective breeding program here, okay? So this is genetic engineering Old Testament style, okay? Either this is... Maybe there's something scientific in it. So when you Google this, you see some people have these one theory as well. In poplar and almond trees, in their sap that you get when you peel the bark off, there's this particular nutrient that when the animals drink it, it makes them more likely to conceive or or something. And, And go ahead and believe that if you want. But on the other hand, it's quite possibly like an old wives' tale, as it were, of the time. that Oh, well, if you want your animals to breed, you have to put these sticks here. Or maybe, at the worst, maybe it's some kind of dodgy witchcraft thing of, you know, oh, well, you have to wave your stick this way and put it that way and do... Who knows, really, what's going on there? But what's going on for Jacob here, because we can't figure out what's going on with those branches, don't know. What's going on for Jacob here is that he is trying to use all his wits and all his cunning to make this go his way. He wants to get as many good, healthy, strong, speckled and spotted sheep for him as he can. He wants to win this battle against Laban. And so he's using everything he's got, everything he knows, to try and make that happen. This is a game, if you like, about who's going to outwit the other one. Who can play this game the cleverest? to win the prize of the most sheep. And if we're looking at life through this lens of what's happening in our life, that's perhaps how we see it. We see life as this thing of, for every new challenge, I've got to try and use all my wits and all my cunning to win. That's what we see when we just look through that lens. 
But we're perhaps forgetting to look through this second lens. Asking that question, actually, what's God doing here? What's God doing in this person's life? And if we read on into chapter 31, God starts to become part of the narrative. Up till now, we haven't really heard much about him. This has been about what Jacob's doing. Now we start to hear, actually, what's really going on here? What's God doing? So if we read on in chapter 31. Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all his wealth from what belonged to our father. And Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude towards him was not what it had been. Then the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives and I will be with you. So Jacob sent word to Rachel and Leah to come out to the fields where his flocks were. He said to them, I see that your father's attitude towards me is not what it was before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I've worked for your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me by changing my wages ten times. So Laban's been playing the game here too. It's, it seems that Laban has kept saying, oh, no, 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 now it's the spotted sheep. Oh, no, 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 now it's only the speckled sheep. Now it's this, he's changed the goalpost. Laban has been playing the game too. However, God has not allowed him to harm me. If he said the speckled ones will be your wages, then all the flocks gave birth to the speckled young. And if he said, the streaked ones will be your wages. Then all the flocks bore streaked young. So God has taken away your father's livestock and has given them to me. In the breeding season, I once had a dream in which I looked up and saw that the male goats mating with the flock were streaked, speckled or spotted. The angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, I answered, here I am. And he said, look up and see that all the male goats mating with the flock are streaked, speckled or spotted. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. So when we look at the story from this level... Actually, what's been going on here is God has been determining what kind of sheep or goats are born. This is God's doing. This is God who's actually won the game for Jacob. Which then raises the question, why all Jacob's business with the sticks? What's all that about then? Did God work through Jacob's efforts? Did, did God actually use this thing with the sticks in order to achieve favour on Jacob? And did God bless what Jacob was doing? Was Jacob actually wrong to be doing with the sticks? Actually, that was you know, him trying to achieve it his own way rather than trusting God. And yet God worked in spite of what Jacob was doing. 
Or actually, did God work regardless of Jacob's efforts? Was what Jacob was doing, actually, God has a plan here. doesn't really matter, Jacob, what you're doing, because I've got this. And you know, the best thing is, don't know, doesn't tell us. We aren't always told these things. And that's something we need to be comfortable with when we read what goes on in the lives of some of these people in the Old Testament. They do some weird stuff, and sometimes it does not tell us what God thinks of what they're doing. And we have to be comfortable with that, because the real message there is actually, it's not so much about what they're doing, it's about a faithful God who has a plan and who is working in their lives. And that's the bit that we need to hold on to. You see, what we can tell from this story is something about God. We can't tell much about whether Jacob was right or wrong, but we can tell something about God. Because what it does tell us is that God says, I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. God sees what's going on in his life. And actually... God has given Jacob a very specific promise. We heard about it last week when Tony was preaching. If we flick back very quickly to Genesis 28, and it's in verses 12 to 15. So Jacob's having this dream with this stairway, and there's angels of God ascending and descending on the stairway. And God says to him in this dream, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. That's a very specific promise. And God is fulfilling that promise in Jacob's life. He is ensuring that Jacob is able to go back to that land that he's been promised and to establish his household and his children. God is always true to his promise. Jacob may have helped God and cooperated in achieving that promise, or Jacob's actions may have been a hindrance to that. But whichever, God is true to his promise and always keeps his promise. So what does that mean for us at this level? When we're going through life, we we can sit back and let things happen. Hey, God's will be done. I don't need to do anything about it. I'll just let God get on with it then. Or we can go to the other extreme and and spend our lives, every new challenge that comes up, (coughs) trying to work out the best way to do it and how can I manipulate this situation to make something happen. Whichever, God will keep his promises to us. We can hopefully choose to cooperate with him a bit on that and make that process of God's promise being achieved a little more comfortable. But at the end of the day, it's God who wins those battles. So what we then need to be asking ourselves is, what is God's promise to us? Jacob had a very specific promise there. 
what's God's promise to us? You may have specific promises that you feel God's given you, but there are some general promises that God's given to all of us. To to save me having looked them up in advance, I'm sure you know some of them. What has God promised us that we can be confident of? He will be with us until the very end of the age. He's never going to leave us. God has promised us that. Is there anything else God's promised us? He will give us his Holy Spirit. He's promised us eternal life with him. That's his promise. He will keep it. Any others? You're having to wake up now in the heat, aren't you? I'm sure we can sort of think of other ones in the back of mind. So God has promised he will never leave us. We will be with him forever. What he hasn't promised us is that that will be plain sailing. In fact, he has promised us, in this life you will have troubles. He's also promised us that. So, you know, bear that in mind as you go through. Yes, he has overcome the world, absolutely. But there's one last sort of level at which I want to look at this story. And it's this one, how is this person's life part of God's big plan? You see, the promise that he made specifically to Jacob is actually very close to the promise that he made to Jacob's grandfather, Abraham. It's the same promise. I'll just very quickly find it for you in Genesis 12. In Genesis 12, um, from verse 2, the Lord says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Can you see how that's the same promise? This promise that there will be many descendants, and it will be a blessing to the earth. But this nation that he promised through Abraham, that he's then promised through Jacob. This nation is the nation that God would use to bring the law. So through Moses, Moses is a descendant of these guys. That law that would show people how they should be living and also give people an awareness of their own weaknesses and failings. It was through this nation that God would demonstrate even the very best of human rulers will fail. King David, who's referred to as a man after God's own heart, even the great King David wasn't good enough. Even he couldn't make things right. Through this nation that's going to come as Jacob's descendants, God would speak to his people through the prophets, guiding them, warning them, leading them. And through this nation, God would eventually send his son, Jesus, a descendant of Abraham, a descendant of Jacob, who would model, finally, the perfect life, who would bring a message of hope for what God's kingdom is, and who would give up his life as a sacrifice, not just for this one nation, this one line of descendants from Jacob, but for all people, so that everyone would have the opportunity to know God, to be forgiven, to be blessed by him, and to be with him for eternity. So what's happening here in Jacob's life 
isn't just about what's happening in Jacob's life. It's about God's plan for all of humanity. Well, that's all lovely. But what does it mean for us? When we're going through life and we've got our troubles, which we know we will have because Jesus said we would have them, we can look at our life through those three lenses. We can look at our life simply as what's happening in my life. And our response then is trying to figure out what can I do about it? How can I change my circumstances? How can I use my cunning and my wit to make this work for me? We can look at our life in terms of what's God doing in my life? What's God doing in this situation? And our response then is perhaps about figuring out, am I cooperating with God's plan? Which way does God want me to go in this situation? Am I following Jesus' example in how I conduct myself in this situation? Am I seeking God's plan for my life? But then we can consider that third level of what's God's big plan. How does my life fit into God's big plan? And this is the level on which our priorities really change because it no longer becomes about my life, what's happening to me, my goals, what God's doing for me. It becomes about how am I serving God's purpose in the world? The challenge with this, though, is we can't always see through this lens. If we think of that story of Jacob, did Jacob know that through his descendants it would be the nation of Israel and that the law would come through them and that the prophets would speak through them and that Jesus would be born and that Jesus was going to die? Jacob didn't know any of that. He couldn't see any of that. We've got the benefit of hindsight. We can look back and see that Jacob's life was part of God's plan, that God is faithful, that God does keep his promises, and therefore, by what we know of God's character, we can trust that our life is part of God's plan. But we might not be able to see the details of that. An important thing I want us to note in this, recognising that our life is part of God's big plan, does not mean that our difficulties are God's plan for us. It does not mean that God has decided, you will suffer this difficulty because it's going to achieve my purpose. It doesn't necessarily mean that. What it does mean is that God will use your difficulties for his purpose. And that's an important difference to recognise. God will use your difficulties for his purpose. So, As we're drawing to a close, I wanted to give us a picture of that that we could perhaps reflect on or perhaps understand as to this idea of looking narrow just at our life, but then also being aware of how we fit into God's bigger plan. And I came across um, this idea of, um, there's quite a few YouTube videos, people doing drawings by using one line. So the, the challenge they give people is you've got to draw a picture, but once your pen or pencil hits the page you're not allowed to take it off again. And you've got to draw the entire picture keeping your pen 
on the page, which I'm told results in serious hand cramp after a while. And I wondered if we could reflect that maybe that's a little bit like God's doing. God is drawing a beautiful picture of his salvation of the world. He is drawing a beautiful picture of how the world is going to be, of his kingdom. And we might be one little bit of that long line that makes that beautiful picture. So I'm going to show you a video now of someone doing that. Now, the important distinction, the video I managed to find, this person cheats, and every so often, they actually take a little break and take their hand off the page, and then they come back and start where they left off. And I want to be really clear that God does not take his hand off that page. A person drawing this picture gets cramp, doesn't know where they're going, and so they they have a little breather and come back fresh. God never takes his hand off the page. So as we watch this, use it as an opportunity to reflect on how you are part of that, which part of that drawing, which part of God's beautiful picture of creation, of his plan for the world, are you. You are part of the beautiful picture of God's kingdom. And I don't know where on that line of his drawing you are right now, but his promise is that Jesus reigns. Jesus has overcome the world. There is that promise of God's kingdom. And whatever is happening in our lives right now, whatever has happened, it is part of that beautiful picture of God's kingdom. So let's choose now, wherever we're at, the band are going to lead us with that song, Blessed Be Your Name, wherever we are at in that picture right now. God's name is blessed because he is building a beautiful kingdom.